Right. So Jude had plans to write to these brethren to about the common salvation, uh, but some things changed. Certain persons crept in unnoticed. Ungodly persons who turned the grace of God into licentiousness and deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that crisis, because of the subversive nature of these false teachers who have crept in, then uh, Jude had to change his plans about what he was going to write about. Sometimes we need to address the current situation. (coughs) It would be perhaps irresponsible to preach or teach or write some general positive thing when there's a there's a dangerous situation. You know, if somebody was about to write, run out in front of a truck, giving them a lecture on, you know, some disease in a foreign country is probably not going to be relevant. They need what they need right then. And so Jude feels like this is a crisis. He's got to write and deal with this idea that great, God's grace means you can just send it up. And and this idea of just denying the lordship of Jesus. There are, these people are rebels, and they're promoting rebellion among the brethren. And so Judas uh, has altered his uh, purpose for writing to try to deal with this uh, situation. So that's what we said last week, I think. Uh, this week, uh, 5 to 7. Now I desire to remember... Though you all, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who do not believe, and angels who do not keep their own domain but abandon their proper abode, He has kept in eternal bonds in our darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Okay. Sometimes what we need is a reminder. And if we are hearing the same truth again, maybe that's God's providence. Maybe he knows that's a truth that we need to think about again and apply. Uh, Jude is not giving fresh information. And uh, just have him think about it. How many of us do as well as what we know? Sometimes what we need isn't fresh information. If we did what we do know, think about how much better our life would be. So it's not bad to remind and repeat familiar truths. That's what Jude's doing. And he reminds them about three examples of judgment, presumably examples these brethren would have known well. And all three of them, I think, have a particular focus that is intended to wake up Jude's readers. He first talks about the judgment of who? Israelites. When? In the wilderness. (laughs) Yes. And the thing that's striking about God's judgment of the Israelites in the wilderness is what? After he had saved them. Yes. Here's an example of saved people who were judged, who were punished, uh, who were destroyed is the word that he uses. Uh, how many of them were? Yeah, and there were over half a million. Whoa! <laughs> so that's a very um, upsetting judgment of God in that these were saved people and an incredibly large percentage of them were destroyed in the wilderness because they didn't believe. 
the Savior can become the destroyer if we lose our faith. You know, we shouldn't be complacent, you know, because we've been saved. That doesn't mean we will be saved, necessarily. So that's a strong, wow, that's a strong example and a, a bothersome one, troubling one. The next example is who? The angels. The angels. <clears throat> now, you know, just on the surface, if God is willing to judge and punish and condemn the angels, what chance do human rebels have? <laughs> you would assume the angels uh, would have a special uh, pass or whatever. But And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So here are angels who are rebels. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with this idea of rebellion, of not submitting to Jesus' lordship, of turning God's grace into license. Here are angels who didn't keep their own domain. Evidently, God had assigned them a domain. They didn't stay there. They abandoned their proper abode. They willfully chose not to stay within the limits of what God says. If that isn't rebellion, what is? That, that's exactly what we're talking about. Are we going to stay with, are we going to, to, to obey the limits? They didn't. They abandoned their proper abode. And, uh, he's judged them severely. He's kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. It's kind of like one judgment leads to the other. They're already in bonds awaiting the judgment. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes when you arrest a criminal, if he's considered super dangerous, occasionally they don't even set a bond. And he's, he's in prison awaiting his judgment. Uh, the angels did the crime so bad, these angels, that they are kept in bonds awaiting the actual judgment. Um, and uh, the punishment fits the crime. Did you notice that? Their crime was they did not keep, so he has kept. <laughs> they don't keep, he'll keep. Uh, he'll keep them. Now, what do we know about this? these angels' uh, sin? Well, I think this is referring to the story in Genesis 6 where the sons of God didn't keep their proper place, but they went into the daughters of men and cohabited with them. I think that's what Peter referred to in Second Peter 2, 4, 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20. Um, and the next verse will corroborate that. I think that's what we know about angelic rebellion is the story in Genesis 6. And, and I think that uh, uh, this, is, this is a reference to that. Um, so, Thoughts and comments through verse 6. The Israelites' example seems like a little bit of a different kind of crime, but I guess it still fits in the rebellion category. Well, think about it. It says that they did not believe. Well, what was their sin of unbelief that made them wander in the wilderness? They wouldn't take the land. And what did God tell them to do? Take the land. That's rebellion. <laughs> now, the rebellion was caused by a lack of faith, but it was still rebellion. They still just didn't do what God told them to do because they didn't trust him that they could do it. <laughs> and then you remember what they did. God said, well, you're going to wander, and then they... And they tried to do it. <laughs> Why? You know, he says, do, and they don't. He says, don't, and they do. You know, that's uh, that's the height of rebellion. You know, sometimes we could mess up on both ends of the stick. 
Reminds me of a certain two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the third example, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, I think the thing that is most outstanding about their judgment is it was so drastic. As he says... They are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Remember what the Lord did to judge them? <coughs> Rain, fire, and brimstone on them. That would be a very unpleasant uh, meteorological phenomenon, right? You know, can you imagine getting fire and brimstone rained down on you? You know, it reminds me of, um, you know, some of these fantasy stories. You know, Hunger Games kind of stuff or whatever. Where just some unspeakably horrible, impossible to escape kinds of things that, whoa, just are terrifying. God's judgment can be awful. And it was in Sodom and Gomorrah's case. Now notice, he, he speaks about the angels. And then he says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh. Now, he is paralleling what Sodom and Gomorrah did with what the angels did. They both went after strange flesh. Well, you know what was strange about the flesh in Sodom's case? It was men with men. What's strange about the flesh in the angels' case? It was angels with women. Both of those are cases of going after strange flesh. Now, this is also a case of the punishment fitting the crime. They burned with the fire of lust, so God burns with the fire of judgment. You know, they they are receiving an appropriate punishment for their crime. And so those are three outstanding examples of God punishing rebellion. We better not take the grace of God as license, and we better not deny the lordship of Jesus. Things you want to say through verse 7. Is that referring back to the Israelites as well when it says in the same way? Uh, I think in the same way the angels with Sodom and Gomorrah. I think he's comparing those two. Since they, uh, I think, is uh, the angels in the same way as these, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, as far as I, as far as wondering why it would just be limited to that. But well, they are the they are examples of going after strange flesh. Now that's why I wondered if you consider that <clears throat> with the Israelites, though, <laughs> in some <clears throat> metaphorical way, and the with the because they always called that adultery going after the idols. So yes, he is definitely doing that. He is making parallels between you know these sins and theirs. So maybe so. Maybe we could consider that their idolatry was a, you know, spiritual, uh, sexual misconduct. Uh, well, there were a lot of cases when for the Israelites where that was exactly the case, right? Right. The idolatry and like sexual sin. But, but they did both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. that's true too. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it, sometimes hard to tell in some of those <laughs> passages which kind of adultery he's talking about because they were involved in both. <clears throat> sure. Yeah, the the two thoughts about the angels and the and Sodom and Gomorrah seem to be a little bit more connected. It says 
that uh, you've kept the angels until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the surrounding cities, and, mm-hmm. and so on. So, like that seems to be more of a continuous thought. It is. It is. Yeah, I think it is. He's kind of he's kind of linking those, but still, I mean, I think the thing that's shocking is he destroyed saved people, he punished even the angels who sinned. And Sodom and Gomorrah's punishment is such a graphic example of what God does in judgment. And we can be guilty of the same sins. The unbelief and rebellion, the, you know, just not keeping the rules, or the going after strange flesh like Sodom and Gomorrah did, either spiritually or literally. Well, that's just... Go ahead. What's in... Verse 5, how does that read? You know, there is, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all. Mm-hmm. Is he saying, I'm going to remind you once for all, even though you already know it? No, I think he's saying, you you already you already would taught these things good and proper, you know, once and for all, but you still need a reminder. So you know all things once for all. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of a weird way like to say it. verse 3, the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. So. I, I don't know what other translations say. I don't know if we have any representative among us. So verse 3 says the same thing, yeah. Uh-huh, yes. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you. Okay. That comes up a lot. says that you once fully knew it. I think the point is they had been, you know, well taught, well instructed. They had gotten the full dose. They still need to be reminded of what they've been fully taught. I think that is kind of a common theme like here. And I seem to remember him saying uh, some similar things in Colossians and maybe in the John letters as well. Just the idea of like, you don't need... Like, the false teachers are maybe telling you, oh, I have an additional revelation or I have this other thing that you can do. And he's sort of saying, like, no, you you got all the truth once for all. It doesn't need to be amended or anything else like that. Good point. Yes, definitely you've got that. And you've also got, I've been studying First Thessalonians, and you've got it all over First Thessalonians. And I think the idea mm-hmm. is, guys, you need to be applying what you know. You know, your problem isn't that you don't know enough. The problem is you're not living by what you do know, which I think is often our problem. Well, this has just been kind of a prelude. I mean, obviously, this isn't dealing specifically with these certain persons that have crept in unnoticed, but he does need to deal with them, and he is going to do that right now. He's going to give us the characteristics of these false teachers, and wow. He does not have a kind word for any of them. 8 to 16. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up at, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. 
Enoch, the son from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convince all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders they, who they follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. And what does he really think? So, uh, <coughs> these guys have a lot wrong with them. Uh, they're dreamers. I'm not exactly sure the point of that. They're out of touch with reality, maybe. <laughs> they think they can flout the rules. Flout the rules, whatever that word is. I think they can reject the rules, and uh, it'd be okay. Uh, they defile the flesh, so they're, um, you know, lustful. They're sinful in that sense. Um and and they they reject authority. I mean, that's a lot of what you got here. These are rebels. They are not submissive to the rules. They reject authority. They revile angelic majesties. You know, they are they are rebels against any superior beings. For them, they are the master of their own ship. They're the you know they want to do things their way. And he contrasts them with Michael. Says Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, we didn't know he did that, but now we do, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, what's the point of that? Well, people miss that sometimes. You know, they think that, well, Michael, um, he wanted to be respectful of Satan. No, no, he's not being respectful of Satan, he's being respectful of the Lord. He is not rejecting Satan on his own authority, but he's saying, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, he's, he's, he's not, he's not acting like he's the judge. He's giving deference to the Lord as the judge. You know, he wouldn't take the authority in and of himself as if he were the one in charge, even in connection with Satan. So these guys, they are insubordinate. They think they've got the authority. They think they can do whatever they want to. Michael didn't even think that. <laughs> he knew that it needed to be the Lord uh, that was, was doing this. And he needed to, to uh, respect him. These guys, though, revile what they don't understand. And uh, the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. So think about what he's saying about them. The things they don't know, they blaspheme. The things they do know destroy them. <laughs> you know, they're just, they're a mess. They, and, and again, the self-will is such a big thing. You know, they're, they're like, they're like rabid animals. Just going headlong into the sins they want to commit. Uh, like governed by some sort of a, you know, crazed fever that just sends them into every self-willed, you know, thing they, they want. Uh, so, I mean, he's really kind of uh, reading their pedigree. I think that might be a good, uh, might be a good illustration of what that means. Uh, this, is, this is who they really are. Thoughts and comments through verse 10? Is this, um, is verse 8 listing in some way the three previous things that he mentioned? Well, I haven't seen it that way. Revile the flesh, reject authority, revile angelic majesties. 
kind of talks about those groups and those things, but not specifically and not in that order. Right. Definitely rejecting authority. Which is the theme all through this uh, right. letter. <clears throat> and mentions angels, but this is reviling the angelic majesties. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. These would be the good angels. Right. <laughs> okay. So, some people in the broader religious world like to make interesting statements about, um, you know, I denounce you, Satan, and, you know, such and such. Uh, would this speak to that at all? Perhaps, How yeah. maybe we should be clear that we're deferring to the Lord or we're calling on the Lord to do that, but we're not doing that ourselves? Yeah. Is yeah. that an appropriate application of this? Yeah, I read went across this quote the other day. But I don't know if I can remember it. I got it in my notes about these these uh, TV preachers who who act like Satan's their own trained poodle or something. Some of it, I think, was a little better than that. It was along that line. But you know, you get the impression that they think they are the ones in charge and they just call the shots. And that's what he's saying. We can't have that attitude. We we are we we defer to the authority of the Lord. You know, we don't have authority. How are we going to deal with the principalities and powers in heavenly places? When we have this, you know, pride in us that makes us think, oh, yeah, <laughs> I got I got the authority. I'll just tell him where to get off. Right. We need to rely on the strength of the Lord. You know, be strong in his might, not strong in our might. Yeah, I think this would be a good passage. Look at verse 11. Uh, he compares them with Cain, Balaam, and Korah. As I remember, we mentioned, Jude loves the threefold things. <laughs> we had a few more of them, we just haven't talked about them, like the three and five to seven. Uh, but he, uh, here's the triple. So they're like, they're like Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Notice he talks about the way of Cain. The error of Balaam and perishing in the rebellion of Korah, which reminds me of the opposite of that. Jesus is the way, the truth, not the error, and the life, not the perishing. So Jesus is almost the anti-Cain, uh, Balaam, Korah. But you think about Cain, you know, he was a rebel. You know, he defied the Lord all the way around. You think about Balaam. He was only interested in the fee for his prophesying. He wasn't interested in the truth. He would do anything for money. Um, you know, he... And, and these false teachers undoubtedly were trying to come up with a message that was attractive and that would give them honor and glory and maybe money as well. And then the rebellion of Korah, Wow. I mean, Korah was just so defiant against God's appointed ordinances and and people. You know, who says, you're the ones, we're the ones. You know, we're holy too. Just rebelling against the order that God has established, this self-willed attitude. And of course, you remember, it didn't go so well for uh, Korah. He perished in, in rebellion and his friends as well. So, you know, 
the, 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 the examples, the models in Scripture of punishment are surely a warning for these false teachers. They ought to get a load of uh, some of these examples in the Old Testament. <coughs> Thoughts uh, through 11? uses some nature comparisons in verse 12. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear. <laughs> well, okay. What's a hidden reef? What's a reef? Like in the ocean? Yeah. Okay. It's well, dangerous. Yeah, because you can't see it, but it's going to... not deep enough to go over Exactly. So these guys are dangerous, and if you get too close to them, they'll give you shipwreck. Okay, but why are they at a feast? And why is it a love feast? And why is the feast in the ocean? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think the feast is in the ocean. Well, there's a the reef. Why is there a hidden reef? Then why are the reefs not in the ocean and at the love feast? This is an illustration. <laughs> they are not literal reefs. Two they are like as if they were reefs. Do what? It's a separate analogy. Yeah. But now, all right, so your love feast, I assume, would be the times that they share in a loving, hospitable meal together. And these guys butt in, and I, I, you can just imagine these flattering false teachers at these Christian, you know, dinners, you know, just uh, buttering everybody up and flattering everybody and, you know, pretending they're so righteous and godly and really they are wrecking boat after boat of the disciples with their, you know, rebellious spirit and teaching. You know, so these guys, you, you don't see what they're really like, you know, but they're gonna, they're gonna wreck your ship. Uh, and, and, and yet all the while they, they're right in among you in your, in your dinners and, and, uh, social events, you know, and, and they're spreading their, their wicked philosophies. Um, you know, their whole point is, is themselves. They feast with you without fear. You know, they're only feeding themselves. They're only catering to themselves. You know, he uses lots and lots of nature illustrations here. You know, they're clouds without water. Well, think about a drought. How would you feel about clouds? Excited. Excited. What happens when they pass by and have no rain? We call them wind. We used to call them wind clouds. No, no rain. Just wind. You know, so much promise but no performance. These guys look good. They look like they'd be helpful, valuable, whatever, but they're no spiritual benefit. And, uh, you know, he says they are, um, care, uh, they're caring for themselves, called salt water, carried along by wind. You know, it's like they're, they're unstable. It's blown by any wind that comes along. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. <laughs> Again, that was, uh, probably didn't need all that. You know, and here are these autumn trees without fruit. One would you expect fruit? Autumn. Autumn. So if they're autumn trees with no fruit, they're probably just not bearing fruit. They're doubly dead. I, I would think singly dead would be adequate. <laughs> these, these trees are doubly dead, in case you, in case you were questioning that. It's been mostly dead and all dead. 
Well, these are not all dead. They're double dead. <laughs> and I, uprooted. <laughs> yeah, I, that's right. If you thought that wasn't good enough, yank them out by the roots as well. Can't they can't come back. They can't come back. I mean, that's how bad these guys are. He he really he really doesn't care for these people. <laughs> you know, I know that's uh, kind of hard to see in this passage, but uh, this reminds me of an imprecatory psalm. Yes, doesn't it though? <laughs> they are wicked. They are subversive. They've crept in unnoticed. They're banqueting in your love feast. They're right and worm their way right in the middle of you guys subverting you. To, Spreading their rebellious spirit and attitude. Uh, he, boy, he doesn't care for them. Wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. You know, can you imagine just their restless, unrestrained nature? You know, just, ah, they're, ooh, he's, he's kept standing them. You know, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. So, I mean, his comparisons here, again, can anybody be this bad? Apparently. Yeah. Do we ever have, see anybody being this bad? No, we'd never say this. I know. If we would get on somebody for saying that, like, you're doing the wrong thing. That's being judgmental. Everybody means well. They're just misguided. You know, it's truth for them. Maybe it doesn't work for you, but don't condemn them. Uh, I mean, Jude is very politically incorrect. What is a wandering star? Uh, well, I don't know. Like, that would sound scary. Like, imagine if you're, like, a star out in space and, like, you're supposed to be in your spot, you know, and you're just, like, yeah. out in the black nothingness. And that's you're where you're going to stay. Wandering around. Yeah. Yeah, you appreciate the graphic nature of these illustrations, you know. Even if there are some of them are a little challenging to know what they mean. They sound bad. Thoughts and comments through 13. So, do we just not know anyone like this? <laughs> or do we not see people like this who are like this? Or do we just not say it like this? Well, now, it would be strange, I would think, that there wouldn't be anybody like this. I mean, <laughs> you know, times don't change that much. And, I mean, it's not like this is the only passage that really has strong things to say about false teachers. Mm-hmm. Think about Old Testament texts. Think about Second Peter two, Whoa. and Titus one, and the Book of Revelation, and Colossians two, and you know Paul saying in Galatians five, "I wish they just you know let the knife slip when they were circumcising themselves, you know, cut off the whole organ and all that kind of stuff." I mean, there is a lot of very strong statements in the Scriptures against false teachers and false brethren. So I guess we probably do know people like this. You know, and we just would never say this. But in what context would you even say this? Like, I don't feel like it's edifying to get up in front of a congregation and say this about somebody. But, I mean, I guess I would say, for example, we've done that in the last year or so Mm -hmm. at Avon. So, yeah. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. that we use this language exactly, but to some extent, I think we're hesitant to, 
right, as I would say the situation actually would have been appropriate for this. And yet... So it probably should have been. So we should have said this. I mean, even if we're dealing with real false teaching, I, I think we tend to soft-pedal it a little bit. Right. Like. But on the other hand, if, if there is some unknown about it or something, then you have to, you know, you have to give... He's going. He's going to end up saying in twenty two and twenty three that there are different categories. There's different kinds of people. You know, there's have mercy on some who are doubting. Some people are just doubting. They need mercy. They don't need this. You know. Now some you got to snatch out of the fire. Some don't worry about your matters. You're going to have to just warn them severely. And some. Have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Some are c- contaminated and contagious, and they're going to stain you if you're not careful. I mean, so not everybody receives the same thing, and and not everybody receives the same treatment. Think about Jesus. He had some really strong things to say to some people. And he was extremely compassionate and tender to some people. You know, and it wasn't the people you'd think it would be. You know, who did he condemn most sharply? The religious leaders. Who is he especially patient with? You know, the notorious sinners who were humbled. And really it had to do with their humility and their pride. But there are false teachers. And, I mean, we may be blessed in any given congregation not to have those. But they're certainly around us. I mean, and, and, and when would you say this? I think you say it like Jude did, to warn the brethren about these these false teachers. You know, I think it's appropriate to say, look, watch out. These guys, what, what would you say, for example, this this may be uh, in some senses a more extreme case because this is not dealing with people in the congregation, but what would you say to uh, a, a kid going off to IU to study psychology or philosophy or history or theology or something like that? I'd say, watch out. These guys are snakes. They have no regard for truth. They're prideful and arrogant, and they're just out to subvert your faith. Get a, don't, don't listen to them. You know, this is dangerous. You know, I, it, it's appropriate to say that. It's appropriate to warn and, and say, you know, these guys are not out for your benefit. Um, they sound good, though. They're the hidden reefs. You know, they look good. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about a friend of mine who was in, uh, you know, um, postgraduate studies and really nearly had his faith derailed by a, a teacher in the social sciences that he just really became attached to. And he really cared about him. And, you know, he had a big pull on him. And he was subversive. He was nice, but he was subversive, teaching a bunch of garbage. So uh, there's definitely room for this, but we, if we never see it that way, I think it does show that we've imbibed too much of the philosophy that everything's okay. That was a long time to say that. It appears that the harder head of the harder the head of the person you're talking to, 
the more stern you're supposed to be. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking of, like, the prophets and how they were really stern with the hard-headed people. And then, you know, the times where you had someone repentant or, you know, penitent and how, you know. Right. That's uh, right. Like, how gentle the Lord uh-huh. might be uh-huh. with that. So that's sort of the pattern then. I agree with that. Okay. Yes. I've definitely. So it depends a little. If the person is listening, then stop. Like, you're, you don't need to be any more harsh. Right. And again, while I think it's appropriate to challenge the false teachers directly, this was real, this was warning them oh, about okay. these false teachers. True. You know, which is a very appropriate mm-hmm. thing to do. And, I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. we've got to take a stand on what's true. Um, and, you know, so... Look at verse 14. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Uh, you never, you don't have to read that twice to see what Enoch thinks of those. Now, we know Enoch. You know, he was the one who didn't die. He is the seventh from Adam, if you look at the genealogy in Genesis 5. And being the seventh puts him in kind of that special number, you know, a special order. So it kind of enhances the authority and weight of his words. Now, we don't have these words in the Bible. But the fact that Jude cites them puts him in the Bible. <laughs> and I think uh, indicates this is what he said. Uh, and basically... God's going to judge the ungodly, and they're not going to get away. They're not going to escape, because God knows what's going on. Um, so, I mean, he's saying, you know, these are the kind of people that Enoch was talking about. You know, that's exactly who these people are. We may be able to say the same thing. You know, we may be able to look at some people and say, that's what he was trying to warn you about. Uh, he said these are grumblers, you know, they're compl- I, I suspect they're complaining about God's law restricting their freedom. You know, I suspect they were belly aching about the fact they don't like to keep the rules and there's a bunch of legalism and, you know, just nonsense and they're going to do things the way they want to and it's not up to anybody to judge them and tell them any different and things like that. They find fault, you know, so they're, they're constantly, you know, finding things to pick at, following after their own lusts. So what are they really controlled by? Their desires. They speak arrogantly. Uh, so they're bombastic. They're, you know, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. So they're trying to butter people up and make them, you know, think that they really like them and all that. You know, um, and, and they're teaching a message people want to hear. It's less demanding. It's, it's more... You know, you can do what you want to. God's not so strict. You know, anything's okay. And, well, I mean, he's reading their pedigree. He knows them. Thoughts and comments? What was Enoch referring to? Uh, These guys, according to Jude, but I don't know who he was referring to, uh, you know, specifically in his day. But, you know, it wasn't a good day. You know, things were getting worse and worse on the earth, so he probably had lots of uh, opportunities or examples or whatever. Is this from the Apocrypha? 
I don't believe, no, first Enoch is not in the Apocrypha. It might be in what's called the Pseudepigrapha. Um, is this okay. in first Enoch? Yeah, this is a citation. It's, this prophecy was also cited in first Enoch, if I'm not mistaken. Enoch said it, and first Enoch quoted it, and so does Jude. Okay. Anything else through 16? Oh, I have about 17 to 23. But you must remember, beloved... <clears throat> the present, uh, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your uh, most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained with the flesh. Okay. So, remember what was spoken by the apostles. You know, we are certainly always seeing in these New Testament books the idea of the apostles' teaching as being foundational, as being normative or determinative. No, you need to remember what the apostles taught. Uh, and that they said to you, in the last days there will be mockers following after their own lusts. Remember how they warned you about these guys who were coming. You know, if we forget those warnings, we do so at our own peril. They warned us because it was dangerous. And so this is exactly what they were talking about. Uh, these mockers who do what they please. Um, then he says these are the ones who cause divisions because false teaching divides you know who is the one who creates the division the guy who stands for the truth or the guy who teaches the false doctrine it's the guy who teaches the false doctrine um, so that they're, they're doing that they're, they're worldly minded devoid of the spirit these guys are not spiritually minded they're not focused on the Lord they're not respectful of the Lord um he says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, your eternal life. So here's the other side. You know, we need to build ourselves up in the faith. You know, he was going to have written to contend earnestly for the faith. And uh, here, at least, he gets in the fact that they need to build themselves up uh, in, in their faith. Um, and, and they need to pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying is so important to developing spiritual maturity. Uh, they need to keep ourselves in the love of God. Um, you know, we're kept in verse 1, but we also keep ourselves. You know, so God keeps us and we keep ourselves. Uh, that's, uh, that, they, we work together in that. We're waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, eternal life. So we keep our attention uh, on the Lord's return. That's what we're eagerly waiting for. We need to be looking forward to it. Um, so, um, notice uh, you have um, 
this kind of threesome here, the faith, the love, and the waiting anxiously for the mercy to eternal life would be hope. So really you've got faith, love, and hope here. Um, so that's an interesting threesome. And then, you know, okay, when you're dealing with people, they are different, and they require different treatments. What would you think about a doctor who did the same thing to everybody? <laughs> His, do what? No, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably are something like that. You know, uh, he diagnoses everybody with the same ailment and gives them the same medication. You know, well, that's foolish. Not everybody has the same thing. You know, so if we're trying to spiritually help sickly Christians, they don't all need the same thing. It's not one size fits all. We need to be more uh, adaptable, more flexible to seeing and understanding the situation of the brother and giving him the kind of thing he needs. You know, there's a lot of times when I think what we do, you know, I'm good at one thing, and so I give that to everybody. You're good at something else, you give that to everybody. But it's better to try to be versatile. So, I mean, you think about these who are doubting, they need mercy, they need encouragement, they need to be lifted up. You know, don't, don't shun them, don't lambast them for their doubts. You know, help help them grow. Some people need tenderness. Some people are, they're going to wilt if you don't do that. You know, so that's what needs to happen with some, but not everybody. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. I mean, you know, he's not a friend, someone has said, who deals mannerly with you when you're in the fire. You know, I mean, can you imagine somebody who's like, you know, well, listen, I, I hate to impose, and, and I don't want to be pushy, but, but your house is on fire, and well, I just thought you, you might want to get out if you, if you care to, or whatever. You don't do that. Yank them out. You know, you, I mean, this is, this is dangerous. This is serious. Some people, they're really on the brink. They need to be yanked out of the fire. It reminds me of Zechariah 3, where uh, God, God yanked his people out of the fire. You know, we need to follow the Lord in that. And some people, you know, some people, it's not appropriate to soft-pedal things. I see that sometimes. There are times when I can see people do way better when I am more direct in what I say to them instead of trying to kind of you know, make it sound better and not quite so direct and not so, quite so confrontational and all that. There are some people who, I mean, their life's in danger. Their spiritual life's in danger. And they need to be warned. They may not like it, but that's what they need. And then he says, you know, and on some, on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment uh, polluted by the flesh. I, mean, I think the idea is, you know, boy, some people are just dangerous. Don't listen. You know, kind of reminds you of the, the siren song or whatever. You know, you can't hear it. you got to stop your ears. Don't you let yourself be drawn into it. You remember when the uh, Pharisees sent the officers to arrest Jesus? But they were, they, I think the idea was, find the right kind. You know, when there are not too many people around or whatever, we can get him arrested without creating a scene. So they're going to have to stay there and wait a while. Well, while they're waiting, they're listening, and they come back and like, Nobody ever talked like him. They have no Jesus. You know, it was dangerous to the Pharisees to let them listen to Jesus. Well, of course, we need to listen to Jesus. But, you know, some people, they're dangerous. 
you know, and, and sometimes our, our philosophy is, well, let me get really close to the person. Let me really develop a rapport and a relationship with them, and then I'll talk to them. Well, in the course of all that, they may subvert you. You know, remember, not everybody is is um, secure. Some people, you got to yank them out. You got to you got to warn them, uh, but you're going to have to shrink away from their influence. It says, "Have mercy with fear." <clears throat> what is that? Yeah, referring to. Well, I think the idea is when you have your mercy and trying to help them, do it with fear. Okay. You know, realize. They are dangerous. They may hurt you. You know, so your zeal to win their soul has to be combined with wisdom and prudence. You know, you know, you can't get too close. You can't stay too long. You can't listen. Like, there's some false teachers like that. But you just say, don't listen to them. See, see, the fact that he tells us, you know, these different responses means that we're capable of making a judgment about these things and choosing a response. <laughs> We need to know the people. We need to understand where they come from. You know, I probably, I'm sure I used this illustration before. Uh, maybe, I used it recently, I used it recently with somebody. I don't remember if it was here or not. Uh, but, <laughs> when, many years ago I was in a church with a couple of elders and, and one of the, I used this, one of the men who was kind of a, he was from Eastern Kentucky. He was kind of rough around the edges, kind of a black and white kind of a guy. He had made some poor choices in how he was dealing with his oldest daughter, and he recognized that he hadn't handled the situation wisely. And he was very discouraged with himself. And he, he called the two elders and me into a room and said, Listen, I quit. It's on a Sunday night of church. I'm going to send my family to church, but I'm not coming back. I'm just, you know, I've, I've just gone too far. I'm just whatever. I'm, I, I just letting you know. I'm not mad at you. You know, it's nothing like that. I just quit. I'm not, I'm not coming back. Now, what do you do in a case like that where somebody's discouraged? They're down on themselves. They're, there's all this. Well, two good things happen in that encounter. One is the right elder talked to him. Those two elders knew who was close to who. And the elder that was closer to him, who also came from Eastern Kentucky, so they both kind of did, but, but he came from farther in Eastern Kentucky, <laughs> uh, and had more in common with him, talked. And what he did, I just stood there with my mouth open. He said, that is wrong. You are not going to do that. We're not going to permit that. That is ridiculous. And he just lit into him for about five minutes. I'm like, oh. and he got done. And, and the man said, you're right. I was wrong. And he served the Lord until he died. He knew exactly what that guy needed. Now, I mean, I'd been around that older a lot. I'd never seen him do anything like that. He was a very tender person. But he knew what that man needed. He knew him very well. And what he needed was somebody to say, you can't do that, that's wrong, and you're not going to do it, and we're not going to permit it, and period. It's exact. It, it just shocked me. I was like, what in the world is going on? But you know the person. You know what they need. He And, and really, look, you know, I was young. You know, looking now, yeah, absolutely. This guy was a black and white guy. He was a straight shooter. He was also respectful of authority. And the fact that the brother had authority as an elder, 
They were about the same age, but he has authority as an elder. He respected him as that. And they had a close relationship. It's just exactly what he needed. It straightened him out. It kind of shook him out of it. And, but you've got to know the person and their situation and what they need. So you, again, the one size fits all thing. Where you're just giving everybody the same thing because that's what you do well. It's not going to be very helpful. You think about elders particularly. You know, when they're shepherding a flock, you know, you have to know the sheep. They know them by name, and that what John 10 says? Mm-hmm. And you think about what their, you know, what what is their situation? And and some of them are going to need a lot stronger treatment, and some of them are going to need a lot more gentle handling. Thank you. Now, that was, that was quite a remarkable... It taught me a lot. I was like, whoa, what is going on there? And it worked perfectly. I had anything else for 23. I had 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. All right. So here is his kind of concluding um, statement. Uh, to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. You know, here's our solution. Turn to the Lord to protect us, to guard us. He's able to make us stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. You know, this is not our own accomplishment. This is God is able to strengthen us. He's able to purify us. He's able to make us stand. You know, we de- we depend on him. You know, if we try to do this on our own, we will fall flat on our face. But he is able to do those things and to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Think about that. Isn't that your goal? Can you imagine standing in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy? It's only by the blood of Jesus. But when, I mean, uh, what is that song? When... Uh, something when I shall look on his face that will be glory for me when by his grace I shall look on his face is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. but won't it be can you imagine that 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 song face to face with Christ my Savior has a couple lines like that in it too you know where where it's like that is just you can't imagine what that will be like that is the most incredible, exciting, overwhelming experience. You know, and, and he's, that's what he's saying. He's able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. I, I bet that's an understatement. You know, that's just, uh, that, that's where we're headed. And, and God's able to, to make us uh, to, to, to stand and keep us from stumbling. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. So, you know, to God uh, be all these great things before all time, now and forever. You know, praising God, you know, uh, constantly. Uh, this is, this. he deserves the glory just, you know, eternally. And so that this is just a, a praise to to the Lord, uh, which is an appropriate way to end this uh, little book. So, thoughts and comments. The attributes he mentions about God here 
uh, like seem like a direct contrast to the rebellious, reviling authority people, like the false mm-hmm. teachers that he was talking about. So, like just emphasizing God's authority mm-hmm. when they had been rebelling against Good point. it. Yeah, yeah. You, if you see God properly, uh, it, it should humble us and make us respectful of his authority. Alright, well that is Jude. And so we won't try James tonight. And as I told you, Debbie, in my text, 